The waters are rough out there, Laura. Hmm. I hadn't noticed. Just kidding, Michelle. Yes, it has been rough. It's a good thing we're in the business of smoothing the rough edges of our ever-changing world. Hi, I'm Laura Richer, the owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a licensed therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. If you catch yourself trapped in a sea of worry, sadness, guilt, shame, or fear, this show is for you. We're here every week to help you navigate the choppy seas of romance, anxiety, grief, toxic relationships, and past trauma. That's why our show is called Holding Ground. We are here to hold space for you, your doubts, and your worries, and to show you a way through. Every Monday, listen live at 9 a.m. here on KKNW. If you miss us, you can find us streaming on all podcast platforms. We are here holding ground for you. Good morning. Welcome to Holding Ground. My name is Laura Richer. I am a psychotherapist and the owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. And I am joined today by my co-host, Michelle Mooney, who is also a psychotherapist at Anchor Light. And we are here every Monday morning on KKNW to bring you a little bit of everything in the world of therapy and positive mental health. So good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Laura. Good morning to everyone listening. So today, Laura, we are discussing attachment theory. So what it is, how it works, and most importantly, how it can help you better understand why some of your relationships are challenging. So at Anchor Light Therapy Collective, we offer a complimentary consultation to all potential clients who want to discover how therapy might help them achieve their goals. So just visit anchorlighttherapy.com slash get started to schedule that. Fantastic. Well, as I mentioned to you before, I am so excited to do this show. Attachment theory is so helpful for anyone who wants to better understand their relationships in any aspect of their life, whether it's their work, their friendships, personal relationships, professional relationships. It's also especially helpful for people who are single and dating. I talk about attachment theory a ton with my my clients who are dating. So I'm really glad we could have this conversation this morning. Everyone who has relationships of any kind needs to know about this research. So Michelle, can you- they do. Yes. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about the history of this theory and how it all works? Sure. Well, the root of attachment theory is um, it deals with how people form emotional bonds. So the way a person learns to form and maintain relationship basically comes from their initial interactions with a parent or a primary caregiver during childhood. Um, So rolling all the way back to the early 1900s, this theory was originally developed by John Bowlby. He was a British psychoanalyst who attempted to understand the intense distress experienced by infants who had been separated from their parents. So he observed that separated infants would go to extraordinary lengths, such as crying, clinging, frantically searching for their parent to hopefully prevent separation in order to reestablish proximity to their caregiver or missing parent. So he really believed that our attachment style forms in childhood and lasts all the way throughout adulthood. So he used the phrase from the cradle to the grave, essentially. Um, So what attachment theory uh, theory really asks us is um, the fundamental question is, is my attachment figure nearby? Are they accessible? Are they attentive to what I'm asking for, what I need? So if the child perceives that the answer to this question is yes, they feel loved, secure, they feel confident, they behave well, 
play with others. Um, often these children can be seen as playful, smiling. If however the, oh, the child perceives the answer is no, um, they may experience anxiety. They're likely to exhibit attachment behaviors ranging from a sim simple like visual searching of their environment to you know following every vocal sound they might have. They may be vocally signaling um, to their parent to get extra attention. Um, so those are just kind of some quick uh, overviews and where this theory all started. So, and it makes perfect sense, especially when we're talking about children being frantic, if they, they're not getting the attention of their caregiver or parent, or if they, if they, if they're absent in some sort of way, because the child's survival, their physical survival is dependent on, on their caregiver. Um, and what's interesting is that even though our survival is no longer dependent on this, we bring this attachment style often into our adult lives in our relationships, especially in our romantic relationships. And so Bowlby has done a ton of research as well as other researchers over the year. Um, and everyone is pretty agreed on the fact that there are three main categories uh, for attachment styles. And then there are some subcategories. We're going to be talking about a fourth one today as well. Um, so Michelle, let's, let's tell everyone a little bit about these different styles that you can have in attachment. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's important to note that, you know, we're all equally, um, you're uniquely individual. So, you know, how someone's might early attachment style might affect someone um, more um, strongly than others, but really these are, this is how it all really boils down to. So most people identify with one of these attachment styles. So the first one is a secure attachment style. So this is what we would all hope to achieve. Um, so this, is an adult um, who likely has a positive emotional bond with their primary caregiver early in life. Um, they are comfortable in their relationships and have low relationship anxiety. They feel secure when their partner is inaccessible to them and they don't have a perceived relationship um, threat um, when there's conflict. So, you know, if my partner leaves for the day, I'm not going to be, you know, constantly worried if they're going to reach out to me. Um, if there's some sort of conflict, I'm not going to automatically think, well, the relationship is over. Um, so they feel deserving of love and they don't feel that uh, fear of abandonment. Yeah. So that's what healthy attachment looks like. And like you said, that is what we're all striving for. And this might come a little more naturally to people who had secure, healthy attachments with their parents and primary caregivers early on in life. Um, and, and for some people who didn't have that experience, you can still achieve having healthy, secure attachment in relationships. It just mm -hmm. might take a little bit of extra work. So Someone who um, has heavily researched attachment theory is Sue Johnson. She's a clinical psychologist and couples therapist. She has written an, an excellent book on attachment called Hold Me Tight. Um, and she's known for her work in the field of psychology on bonding, attachment, and adult romantic relationships. And this is what she has to say about it. For all of us, the person we love most in the world, the one who can send us soaring joyfully into space is also the person who can send us crashing back to earth. All it takes is a slight turning away or the 
or the head or a flip careless remark. And there is no closeness without sensitivity. If our connection with our mate is safe and strong, we can deal with these moments of sensitivity. Indeed, we can use them to bring our partner even closer. But when we don't feel safe and connected, these moments are like a spark in a tinder forest. They set fire to the whole relationship. And that speaks to what you just said, Michelle, that Sometimes in relationships, if somebody is not securely attached to their partner, the smallest thing can feel catastrophic. You know, if you didn't listen to my problem I had at work, I might jump to the assumption that our our relationship is ending. Or if you need something for me, I might experience the relationship is totally suffocating and want, want to get away from it. Yes, exactly. So, and what we want to do is give a little bit more context to our listeners. So first I'm going to explain what an attachment wound is and what a trauma wound is. So attachment trauma, um, these are injuries that attach from traumas. If our parents were distracted, anxious, maybe they had their own trauma, maybe they had their own mental health needs and they were unable to adequately care for our basic needs growing up. So maybe food, um, shelter sometimes, but also things like emotional um, support. So encouraging your child when they, you know, scored the winning touchdown and, you know, praising them for doing really well in school, things like that. So you also might have attachment trauma if you've been shamed, bullied, or hurt in a social setting where you're really under the care of adults still that are meant to protect you. So people like teachers, counselors, spiritual leaders. And when an attachment wound is, it's a, an attachment and emotional wound that happens in an intimate relationship. So with your romantic partner. So this can happen after a breach of trust, usually in a time of mo a moment of need or transition. So thinking about, say you just lost your parent and your partner completely disappears, or there's been uh, infidelity in the relationship. This can really decay trust, which can really uh, create these attachment wounds later on in life. So, and once an attachment wound occurs, it can lead one or both of the partners feeling betrayed or abandoned in some way. And even if that relationship ends, the, the wound is carried with the person to future relationships. So insecure attachment is always rooted in these attachment traumas or these attachment wounds. And I think it's important to point out that even if you had secure attachment with your parents and primary caregivers, you can also, as you mentioned, Michelle, have attachment trauma through experiences like being shamed or bullied, but bullied by your peers, maybe early romantic relationships that that were traumatic can also lead to these type of wounds. So we just we don't have to blame the parents for everything. There are other ways <laughs> to come about. Um, but of course, I thought I, it was all their fault. Yeah, I mean, um, mostly, but yeah. <laughs> um, well, and, go ahead, Michelle. I was just going to say, yeah, that's a fantastic point. So maybe I had a really secure uh, attachment with both of my caregivers, but later on in life, I got into some really unhealthy, toxic, romantic relationships. So those that, that can entirely shift that attachment that we have later on in life. Yes. And so if you are in, and I've talked about this over years, over the years on several different shows, but toxic relationships have a long lasting effect. So if you stay engaged in toxic relationships, um, oftentimes people will say, well, I know this isn't a great situation, but I'm waiting, you know, I'll, I'll leave when I meet somebody else, or I can't leave this person because they need me. You are going to be creating, there's going to be trauma and wounds that are created through that experience. So 
and you might be dealing with it for years to come. So that's something to consider if you are in a toxic relationship. How how long do you want to deal with this after the fact? Um, but as with all traumatic experiences, it causes us to adapt to de develop maladaptive coping skills and and unhealthy ways of attaching. So now we're going to dive into insecure attachment, which is considered unhealthy attachment. And let's start with the avoidance, Michelle. What do we know about them? Right. So these are adults that are typically uncomfortable with closeness. Um, they really value their independence within their relationships. So independence is, of course, is always really good, but it's when it gets to this extreme level where you're favoring independence more than your relationship. And if you're going to be in a relationship, you kind of have to go <laughs> at least 50-50 for most of that time. So um, folks that have an avoidant or dismissive uh, attachment style, they can um, fear or put away closeness. Um, as a child, their caregiver might not have been really attuned to their needs. So they learn that the only way I can have my needs met is if I do these as an individual. I can only depend on myself for my basic needs, but also to self-soothe, um, to, um, you know, really emotionally regulate on my own. Um, so that's one of the reasons why you would push people away later in life is because, no, 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 I got this kind of thing, right? I get hurt, I fall down. No, I'm, I'm okay. Right. Or, you know, paying a bill or something like this. No, no, I got, you know, the complete thing, whatever it is really like, I, I can take care of myself. I don't really need you. And something important to point out is, you know, these folks still want a close relationship. They like the idea of, you know, having a, you know, a secure, healthy uh, partnership, but they're just not able to for these reasons. So um, they might come off to their partner as somebody who doesn't care about them or really care about the closeness in their relationship. Um, um, again, they might prefer not to be too dependent on, on their partner or have others depend too much on them. So that's another piece of it, right? If I've always taken care of myself, why can't you do it? for yourself. So please don't depend on me too much. Um, and these people also tend to be, again, viewed as more independent. Um, so things like also later in life, asking for help from folks can be really hard. Accepting help can be really hard. So, you know, this can all feel pretty awkward. Yes. And the, so I think the research says that about 50% of people are securely attached. And they primarily get in relationships with other securely attached people. So they pair off and then they're no longer in the dating pool. 25% of the population is avoidant. However, they are really overrepresented in the dating pool because they do not emotionally bond. And so therefore they don't sustain long-term mm -hmm. relationships necessarily. Um, um, and they might really, the way they experience relationships um, can be, that they feel that people are always letting them down, that they, they don't want to help any, they don't want anybody's help. They feel like relationships are a lot of work. Maybe it's not worth it. They often feel like the people that they date are too needy or overwhelming or want too much from them. Um, and like you said, it, it's interesting to note that this attachment style, while it's, while they are often pushing people away because they fear emotional intimacy and closeness, they actually do want to be in relationships. So this can be really confusing if you uh, encounter somebody who's avoiding in the, the dating pool. They might be all in in the beginning and excited about dating you and, and you know talk about their hopes for relationship and then quickly withdraw once they start to feel that you're moving too close to them. And one 
one more thing I want to say about that real quick is um, they they fear that emotional closeness, not just out of like the sense of independence, which I was really um, focusing on earlier, um, but it's also because when they feel closeness, it's very unfamiliar to them. So even if it's a good thing to be close, to be emotionally intimate with somebody, they see this as something that is unfamiliar, so therefore it's uncomfortable. So that would be another reason why uh, we would push people away if we had an avoidant attachment style. Right. And, and and that's really rooted in, like you said, early, usually early, early childhood where your needs were not met, which was a painful experience. And so mm-hmm. people go on to adapt coping mechanisms so, so that they can meet their own needs and, and not need anything from anyone. But that actually can be a very painful experience as well. You know, and I also right. think that this style is more celebrated in American culture because we are an individualistic society, you know, do it yourself kind of kind of people. Um, so oftentimes people will be proud of being a little more detached in relationships or feel that they are, um, you know, self-sufficient. But as human beings, we are just wired to want to connect with other human beings and, and having blocks to emotional connection can actually be a very painful and unhealthy experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause our, our primary goal, um, is, as humans is to survive, right? So survival such as I need to eat, I need to breathe, but right underneath that is connection with others. So it's a very basic um, primary need that we all have. Michelle, have you worked with any avoidant clients or do you have any examples of, of clients who had avoidant tendencies? Um, you know, one client really uh, comes to mind. So this individual, um, so this is how he developed a um, avoidant attachment style based on prior intimate relationships. So he had been um, cheated on a handful of times. Um, unfortunately, each time he found his partner with somebody else. So that created a real, we are talking about those attachment wounds where there was that you know, deep uh, mistrust that happened, right? You violated the trust. So he went on to completely not even think about dating for the next 15 years. He just totally took a break because he learned it is too difficult to be in relationships. Somebody's gonna betray me, somebody's gonna leave me. So really, what's the point? Um, this individual is now um, engaged in dating again, still is pretty avoidant, um, but at least is putting themselves back out there and kind of trying again and seeing ultimately if he can find uh, a secure relationship with somebody. Yes, and it's possible even if you've experienced, you know, deep betrayal, um, you can still work through some of these things and and find secure attachment. But I, that's such a good example of how relationship trauma, people really carry that with them. And this isn't even about just being in a stubborn mindset, like, oh, you know, somebody right. didn't work out before. It's people have very physical reactions to, to these kinds of experiences where their nervous systems are triggered and they feel like it is a life or death situation. Um, because when you were a child, it probably was a life or death situation. You needed that caregiver to care for you, but that, that plays out in your adult life as well. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, Laura, what would, um, someone with an avoidant attachment style typically feel, or what, what would be signs of somebody in adulthood that has an avoidant attachment style? They would probably be 
hesitant to really share themselves with anyone. They might devalue feelings in general. They might be more logical and in their in their heads and feel that feelings are overrated. Um, they will create barriers to closeness with other people. So they're always they always kind of throw up obstacles in the in the relationship, uh, especially romantic relationships. Um, so maybe, what are some examples I've seen over? The years they they will say they'll be hesitant to commit to relationships. Um, they'll say that they're not the marrying type. They'll experience their partners as being very needy when in fact maybe their partners just have regular emotional needs like you know needing valid validation and and things that are not considered unhealthy. Um, they would do things like maybe they would tell you that they love you, but they don't want you to spend the night at their house. They're always, they're always creating obstacles to, to closeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, good. Um, yeah. And do you, can you uh, think of a client example? Do you have a client that sticks out in your mind that um, you can share with us? Yes. So I had a client that I worked with for a couple of years and she was extremely avoidant in relationships and would really, it's to the point where she would just leave relationships without even telling the person that she was no longer available to them. She would just drop out altogether. And and as soon as anyone got too close, she felt so emotionally overwhelmed that she would basically just ghost them. Um, She did eventually get into a relationship with someone where she was still very triggered. However, she found this man who was the most secure man I've ever heard of in my life and her behaviors (laughs) of shutting down and disconnecting and going away for a couple of days didn't trigger him. And so he just let her do that. And in, and in that she was really able to let him move closer to her because he didn't feel overwhelming or threatening to her. Um, and I am no longer working with her, but as, as far as I know, she is still in that relationship. But that was a very interesting example. And we'll get into this a little bit more is that certain attachment styles do not function well together. And so you also need to, to choose a partner who, who can work with your, your, the challenges that you might have. So in this case, this person was so secure that these, these behaviors didn't really phase him. There would be Mm -hmm. other cases where a person would be really triggered by those kinds of behaviors and those, that those just wouldn't work well together. So we'll get into that a little bit more when we come back. Right now, we're going to take a quick break. Um, and again, if you would like help in treating attachment wounds or learning how to improve your, improve your relationships, just head on over to anchorlighttherapy.com, get started and schedule your complimentary consultation. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. I'm Nathan Mum, and I'm the host of Tech Time Radio. Saturdays from 4 to 5 p.m., you can listen to our show live. The hosts cover top tech stories with a funny spin. That's good. So, what, like, Hooked on phonics worked for you, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Grab your weekly technology without having to geek out. Yeah, I can imagine. Only on Tech Time Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We talk technology for the everyday common person. We are the physicians, the nurses, the hospital and health system leaders. 
All we ask of you is to take three simple steps proven to stop the spread of COVID. Wear a cloth face mask, maintain social distance, and wash your hands. Scientific evidence must shape our decisions, dictate our actions, and protect our health. We are not powerless. Together, we will defeat COVID. This has been a message from the American Hospital Association, the American Medical Association, and the American Nurses Association. Going against the grain has never been this much fun. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Holding Ground. If you're just tuning in, today we are talking about attachment theory and how understanding your attachment style may help better inform how you present in relationships um, and what to do about it if you would like to see your uh, relationships improve a bit. Yes. So let's get to the next uh, insecure attachment style. We just talked about secure attachment, which is what we all strive for. Um, and then the next one was avoidant. So the next thing that is considered insecure attachment is anxious attachment. And anxious attachment is kind of, it's the other side of avoidant attachment. It, it's rooted in the same place that somebody may not have had their needs met in childhood. And while avoidant attachment, people will say, well, you know, I didn't really need you anyway. I'll take care of myself. Anxiously attached people have the opposite reaction. They become very anxious in their relationships. They, um, they have a lot of fear when it comes to relationships. They may experience extremes in relationship. Like I mentioned uh, earlier in the show, like, you know, a small conflict with their partner could feel like a threat that would be relationship ending when maybe we're just mm -hmm. arguing about doing the dishes. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, a child that develops this type of attachment style may have had a caregiver that was unpredictable or not available to them, um, which leads them to worry that they're not lovable. Um, they can be easily frustrated or angered when they're in relationships and they feel that their needs are unmet. They're often, often the people who are referred to as needy or clingy. Um, so Michelle, do you have any anxious attachment examples you can give our listeners? Yeah, sure. And one more thing I want to talk a little bit just real quick about the childhood piece. So you're talking about, you know, that clingy behavior. So again, that stems from our parents or caregivers not being really available. So these um, children will tend to cry out more. They'll like attach to their mother's leg, for an example, that sort of thing of like, don't leave me, don't leave me, right? Based on you, you may have left me so many times that I'm trying to keep you in close proximity. So that does happen again and then we can see these behaviors replicate in adult uh, attachment so um, these would be folks that you know um, people who want to get close to one another but you know I'm not sure like oh are you even really emotionally wanting to be close to me um, these are folks who want to constantly be around their partner um, so we have to hang out seven days of the week you know I have to have constant contact with you to reassure and reaffirm that you're still in this with me so um so things such as like well I'm going to text you five times a day and you know to the extreme it can be like is everything okay 
are you mad at me? You know, constantly checking in to make sure that that relationship is still there. Um, they are constantly worried how long the relationship might last. So even when things are going really well, it's kind of like, well, but when is that other shoe going to drop? What's around the next corner that could potentially end this? What's going to make you decide you no longer want to be with me? Um, so I'll worry if you leave, um, you know, and that you won't return. So even if like, let's say we don't see each other for two days so are you going to come back are we going to hang out again you know is this over if i don't see you uh frequently enough um they quite really question whether or not their partner really loves them they need a lot of reassurance like what i was talking about in that texting example of having to constantly check in reaffirm that the relationship is still going on right that you still love me and care about me um so they really don't like to be alone they can feel very uncomfortable in aloneness because that creates a lot of questions so stemming back to early uh anxious attachment style if you're gone right mom or dad when are you going to come back are you coming back because they were left to question that for so long as children um that really can follow us again into adulthood yeah um so um a client example you asked me about, Laura, is um, I worked with this client a few years back who um, it, it was that kind of what I was just talking about. It was like around the texting thing, right? So if it's been three hours and I haven't heard from you, you know, she automatically was thinking, okay, did he die, right? And if he didn't die and he's still alive, he must have decided he's not, you know, in love with me anymore. He must be mad at me. That mad about me piece can come up a lot, right? Because if my parent was always mad at me, maybe my partner is always going to be, if there's any amount of distance in the relationship. Um, so she's somebody who really needed to be around her partner more days out of the week than what was really reasonable for their relationship at that time. Um, but really that just strong constant fear of this person is going to break up with me. Yes. And it's interesting with anxious attachment is a lot of times anxious, anxiously attached people um, have different types of behaviors. They're constantly testing the relationship. So they may withdraw from the relationship when they're completely overwhelmed by anxiety. They might experience like, like you said, you didn't text me back. This must be the end of the relationship. And so they'll send off a text to, to scold their partner and the relationship with them. So they are, even though they really want validation and emotional closeness, they are often engaging in behaviors that are sabotaging their relationships. And so they are also highly uh, overrepresented in the dating population. Um, yes. What's interesting is you would think that, well, two anxious people might work well together because they have the same triggers. And so they might choose to date each other. And then two avoidant people might work together because they have the same triggers. So they might choose to each date each other. And in fact, that is not true. And I think this is where we get the saying opposites attract is often anxious and avoidant people are initially very attracted to each other. And then they come together and they push all of each other's buttons. And we mm -hmm. see so many examples of this um, in rom-coms and sitcoms and things like that. Um, but for any of you who are friends, fans out there, Ross and Rachel's relationship was a good representation of uh, anxious mm -hmm. avoidant uh, pair interacting with one another. Um, so 
if you have found that you're in a relationship with someone who really triggers your anxiety, that you have a physical response to, to their behavior of withdrawing, there's a possibility that you are in a, like an anxious avoidant mix, which those two can be together, but they will have to learn a lot about how not to push each other's buttons. Have you ever seen this work in relationships, Michelle? Um, well, one thing that I suggest to folks who are interested in learning their attachment style is to, um, you know, because we might not know, you know, some listeners today, this might be the first time that you're hearing about this theory. So if you can find some sort of evidence-based assessment online where you can um, find out your attachment style, then also have your partner take it. There are ways then when you both have that understanding to um, really know how to show up for one another and not push one another buttons so um and you see this play out in terms of let's say you have an anxious a partner partner and you're constantly seeking that validation and reaching out to your avoidant partner that avoidant partner is going to say like whoa, whoa 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 this is way too much this person and needs too much for me and then they'll push them away the same way as if you're avoidant and you're creating that distance between your partner and they have an anxious attachment style that's going to push their buttons in terms of where is this person when are they coming back so th this can be pretty common um, but there are ways to work with that and the first thing is understanding your attachment style and having your partner understand theirs so you can get on the same page and really figure out some coping strategies that work uh, well for the two of you within the relationship. Yes. And for people who are single and looking, having a good understanding of your attachment style might help you be discerning about who is going to be a good match for you. So if you do have more of an anxious attachment style, someone who's extremely avoidant is going to be very challenging to be in a relationship with. And not that it's impossible, but it's going to take a lot of energy. It's going to be very triggering. You'd probably feel better with someone who had less avoidant behaviors. And, and same on the flip side for somebody who's very avoidant. Um, or who is avoidant, if, they're, if they end up with someone who's extremely anxious, that's going to be triggering them all the time. So they may also want to seek people who have traits that are more compatible with the needs that they have in relationship. Mm -hmm. So the last one we're going to mention, so we've covered the three main attachment styles, which are secure, avoidant, and anxious. Um, but there's another one, which is a smaller part of the population that is dis called disorganized. And this is about 5% of the population. Um, and so Michelle, tell us a little bit about disorganized attachment. What does that look like in adults? This can look like a flip-flop between the two of avoidant and anxious. Um, so this could be, you know, sometimes I have very anxious behaviors. I need you all the time, but then I'm, you know, I'm not getting what I need. So now I'm going to push you away. Um, or, you know, maybe I have more avoidant tendencies, so I'm going to push you away. But when I'm ready to be close to you, where are you? Where have you been? So it's really um, that kind of back and forth in a lot of ways. Um, so um, they can have very intense and chaotic patterns of relationships because they are um, very unstable in the way they connect with one another. Um, so, um, and this can really develop um, again from childhood um, in terms of a response to childhood abuse. Um, so 
I'm sure we've all heard the, um, you know, the, the examples of people who are being abused either by their caregivers or even romantic partners or later, later in life in um, toxic relationships where you're being harmed by somebody that is supposed to be loving you. And yet that's a person who's supposed to be loving you. So I'm still going to try to attach with you. And so, um, it, you know, the, it can come from childhood trauma, such as things like you, again, are abusing me physically in some sort of way, or you're the person who always disappears. Um, but I also really am going to go above and beyond to be really close to you. Um, so it can really create um, come from that childhood trauma. But again, those later on in life relationships that are uh, also traumatic or abusive. And I think that Hollywood loves to make movies about this type of relationship of two people who have all sorts of challenges or present as very broken and they have these chaotic experiences in their relationships and they hurt each other and they come back and forth. Um, and then in the end, it all works out and they have their well-deserved happy ending. And, <laughs> and in real life, that it just doesn't really work that way. Um, I'm thinking about the movie... Uh, he's just not that into you. And I can't think of the name of the characters, but the, one of the characters, the female character is extremely anxious and she's really pursuing the male who is extremely avoidant. And then, and they have, and he continually hurts her and rejects her. And then at the end, out of no nowhere, he realizes that he made a mistake and then they live happily ever after. And the truth <laughs> is, it's just in real life, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> And a, uh, one hour and 20 minutes, uh, just flip a switch and your attachment wounds are healed. <laughs> but it's interesting. And now we talk about trauma bonding is that they, they kind of, that's what's represented a lot in media and movies and, and uh, novels and things like that is two traumatized people that are bonding because they're playing out that their trauma, their, tra you know, what they're familiar with and, and reliving their traumatic wounds, their attachment trauma. Um, but that is, is, uh, marketed as, as romantic. And I see that a lot with people where they don't know what is healthy and normal in relationships because of what they've watched in, in media and rom-coms and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so they, they can't understand why their relationships are so painful, even though all of the, these, uh, challenging behaviors are present. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that um, media in general kind of gives us a false sense of what real relationships are like. So um, children who grow up only watching things like Disney movies where, you know, the princess and the prince get together at the end of any movie, regardless if he's been a, you know, a violent beast the whole day time and then you know finally <laughs> they get together and he magically is a human again and now they're in love for the rest of their life so you know <laughs> that's an extreme example but if you're watching this kind of content growing up you kind of formulate in your head like wow this is what it's going to be like when i get in a romantic relationship later in life and that really is just not the reality and if that is the reality in your head and it's not matching what the reality in your external world is that can be a really um, disappointing circumstance for folks. Um, so that is such a great example, Beauty and the Beast. That this is a romantic <laughs> story, but it starts out with him like holding her captive. So it's not what <laughs> you're the, looking for. 
Right, right. That, that's how all the best relationships start. <laughs> yes, with kidnapping. Um, <laughs> Step number one. Um. I think that, I mean, we can go through so many things that, that show that, that, you know, I mean, or I always talk about pretty woman is, is the being rescued by somebody that you're really down mm -hmm. and out mm -hmm. and traumatized. And in this case, this woman was a prostitute and a rich man comes and rescues her and saves the day. And, and people sometimes are looking for that in their relationships because of their attachment wounds. And mm -hmm. of course they're continually disappointed because as we've said, these make really great stories, but they are not fulfilling pot life experiences when you're actually living them. Right. It's called entertainment for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, to give a couple um, examples of being able to identify disorganized attachment either in others or within yourself, um, here's some more um, indicators of that. So again, this chronic unpredictable or intense relationship patterns or behaviors, um, extreme fear of re uh, rejection coupled with difficulty to connecting and trusting one another, um, extreme need for uh, uh, closeness again. Um, so uh, aggressive behavior towards caregivers or partners. Um, so this can look like kind of just like violence out of nowhere, whether that's yelling or, you know, more extreme forms of violence, um, fear in a way of their caregivers or partners. So you have such an anxious or such a avoidant piece of that attachment style that you really just fear all, your partner altogether because of what they might represent. Um, these folks tend to have a really negative self-image, uh, low self-worth, um, a lot of deep-rooted shame, depression, anxiety, and just feeling overall unlovable, inadequate, unworthy. And when this really gets to the extreme, we can start to see how these um, attachment styles in particular disorganized can present in things such as uh, personality disorder so such as borderline personality uh, disorder so um, that's a real extreme end of uh, unorganized but it th those are some ways that can really manifest yes that's a very good point I would say borderline personality disorder narcissistic personality disorder are all extreme manifestations of this but if you but that is what they they look like and I think that these people, uh, people who have some of these traits are also um, more likely to tolerate or exhibit really um, dysfunctional behaviors. Like, so there's, could, there could be a lot of jealousy in their relationships, almost to the point of obsession. Um, they might feel loved or valued, um, you know, using Beauty and the Beast's example of if somebody's uh, holding them, holding them hostage or, or stalking them. Or so all of these things that are really are unhealthy behaviors, they might actually experience that as positive as, as proof that this person really does care about them with when, in fact, and even, you know, sometimes physical violence. So they did this because, because they really love me or, or, you know, mm -hmm. I just, I'm so important to them. So that's another right. thing for people to watch out for. None of that feels good in relationships. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Michelle, this is such great information. I'm so glad we're having this conversation today. Let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what you can do if you want to change or improve your attachment responses and behaviors. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. COVID-19 is a severe lung infection. Trust the American Lung Association for science-based public health information, especially for the 36 million Americans who live with lung disease. We have resources to protect your lung health. 
access expertise from medical professionals, and peer-to-peer -peer support through our online communities. Visit lung.org for daily updates or call 1-800-LUNG-USA. Thanks for tuning into our brand new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Holding Ground, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 a.m. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back. Thank you for listening to this episode of Holiday Ground. Today we are talking about attachment style. So how you attach um, to your primary caregivers, your romantic partners, and um, learning what these styles are for you and what maybe your partner might be. And um, also maybe what you can do to improve um, your attachment so that it is a bit healthier. So a lot of our clients come to Anchor Light Therapy Collective because they do want to improve or change how they attach in relationships. They've had a lot of negative past experiences that are painful and they want to experience healthy relationships, which is definitely possible. Um, and Michelle, as you know, as a trauma-informed therapist, that treating past trauma, including childhood trauma, can really help people learn about what their triggers are and what types of people are less likely to trigger them and maybe support them in making better choices. Yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, kind of, um, you know, getting back into this idea of how attachment style influences throughout the rest of our lives, it's really a function of our ongoing relationships. So although there's this idea of early attachment experiences might have a very influential attachment style and romantic relationships later in life, um, that's again, not always the case. It can, maybe we'll see that in earlier relationships really coming out. And so we have experiences later on in uh, relationships that um, show us that we can have secure uh, relationships that we can trust. So, um, you know, this uh, really the source and the degree of overlap between the sources are important. So like the, your primary source would be, again, what you had with your uh, caregivers early on in uh, childhood. And if there's overlap, into what your uh, romantic relationships look like a lot later, you're probably going to, um, you know, continue to have that same attachment style. Um, but, um, sorry. Um, so, but it is believed, um, however, that, you know, again, your attachment style can improve, um, you know, so one thing to point out is we can have different attachment styles or uh, connections with different folks in our lives. So while maybe our bond with mom is always going to be in an anxious attachment style, or maybe we've always been more avoidantly bonded to our dad, um, we can bond very differently to our romantic 
partners and also to our friends. So that's another thing to point out that attachment style also influences um, our relationships with our peers as well. So the more times we're shown like, okay, I can depend on somebody, I can trust them, um, we really can start to evolve over time because of those healthier examples where then we can fall into maybe a more secure attachment style later on in life. Yes. And so somebody, for example, who maybe is very anxious about relationships, when they, if they have the experience of being in a secure relationship, whether that's a secure friendship or a secure romantic relationship, that kind of changes the programming a little bit. Now they have the experience of being with somebody who is consistent with them, who shows up for them, who, who does what they, they say they're going to do that doesn't abandon them when there's conflict or any negative interaction. And so that that helps them to start to understand that this is possible. And as you have more and more relationships like that, you're going to start to trust in your ability to have secure relationships more and more. Initially, it can be challenging. Initially, for someone who's very anxious or avoidant, even if they're with a secure person, they could still have um, those their buttons being pushed and get triggered just because that's what they're expecting. So it might not even be happening in the relationship, but because they expect it, they just experience it as happening until they start to trust in something different. So I always tell my clients who are really anxious, especially, um, and anxious people I think are more are more likely to engage in therapy around this issue because they do really want close intimate connections and are very frustrated when they can't create them. Um, but when I'm working with somebody who's really anxious, I always talk to them about checking in when their anxiety is triggered and asking the, the question, you know, what is happening here? I'm feeling anxious. Is this something that is happening in the present moment? Or is it something that my past trauma is informing? Can I start to distinguish between the two? So if I am feeling very triggered because I've texted my partner and they haven't texted me back within 20 minutes, that isn't really something to be anxious about. I could feel triggered though because of my past experience. And so I don't want to blow up my whole relationship and with, you know, without doing some work to check in and learn how to really self-soothe. That's a big piece of it as well. So yes, Laura, that's really important to uh, be able to distinguish if this is a trigger or something that's actually happening to me right now. So really teaching clients, um, you know, especially when I'm working with them on an individual level, this is why you have the behaviors you do or um, a set, uh, you know, a certain set of emotions that you do. It's probably because of X, Y, and Z happened to you as you were growing up. So really just informing people like, wow, this is where this behavior comes from um, early on in life or early on in uh romantic relationships so having people first understanding that this isn't you as a person it's a behavior you adopted to cope with something earlier on in life um so once you like you're saying you give your clients uh education around that then they can really learn to start to distinguish is this my early on trauma coming up or, or is this what my partner's doing right now in the moment yes and michelle you know as a trauma therapist that treating past trauma itself with EMDR therapy or other types of trauma-informed therapy can also help resolve some of these reactions because they aren't rooted in what's happening currently. It's stuff from the past mm -hmm. that needs to be resolved. So if you want to engage in therapy to work on treating attachment wounds, um, some of the work that you can do is, as I mentioned before, learning how to soothe yourself, especially, especially if you're anxiously attached. 
spend time getting to know yourself and what you really need. Um, and that can help in being able to take care of yourself and then also seeking partners who, who are going to be a good match for you and what you need in relationships. Um, it's also good, and this can be really helpful to work with a therapist because we get such conflicting messages, is to learn how to set realistic expectations in relationships. Um, recognize that your partner may not meet all of your needs and that if your partner has needs, that there's nothing wrong with that, that we want to have good, healthy boundaries and expectations of what securely attached relationships look like. Um, you might want to also, if you're anxious, be aware of overreactions that you have or jumping to conclusions. Again, asking yourself, is this rooted in what's happening now or maybe something from my past? And then just be really patient with yourself and give yourself a lot of grace and compassion because these are oftentimes deep-rooted um, wounds and behaviors and it takes a little time to change them. So Michelle, what about for the avoidance? What can they do? Yeah, if you have an avoidant attachment style, what you can do um, is if you are single, try to look for a partner with a more secure attachment. And I think we're talking a lot about the insecure attachment um, styles here. But, you know, just because you have a secure attachment doesn't mean you're absent of all of these other things we're talking about, right? Absolutely. Any of these None of us are perfect. Can yeah, it can be sprinkled in right here and there. Um, so while I might have a really secure attachment style overall, I might still get some anxiety when I have to say goodbye to you at the end of the weekend, for example. Um, so these things can still crop up even in a secure attachment style, but they're not the majority, right? They, again, might just be kind of sprinkled in. Um, but to give some more examples of how someone with an avoidant attachment style um, can start to do some work on themselves, um, practice identifying your own feelings. So that can be something that's hard for folks with an avoidant attachment style because, you know, at some point they felt that their feelings didn't matter, right? My needs become, um, you know, secondary to um, what everyone else's needs are in my environment. My feelings don't matter because when I would cry as a child, mom never came to soothe me. So clearly it doesn't matter if I have emotions. Um, so so those kinds of things, really starting to work on identifying those feelings that maybe you weren't always able to or promoted to. Um, you know, so just starting to share a little bit more of yourself, your thoughts, your feelings, getting to know yourself more as an overall human being. Um, notice when you're starting to push people away, when connection is starting to feel uncomfortable, just start by noticing that. And then over time, once we notice, we can start to change our behavior a little bit more. Um, so practicing asking for your needs more directly, asking for help and support. So this might be incredibly hard for folks with a, a void and attachment style because again, they tend to be more independent and don't worry, I got this. I got it, I'm fine, I'm fine, right? So asking to ask for that help um, or asking to ask for that help and support um, can be very difficult, but start it. Start it in small doses, right? So ask that uh, coworker at work, um, you know, they're going to the kitchen. Hey, can you grab me a cup of coffee too? Or whatever it is, start with little things where you start to see like, okay, if I ask for help, people will respond to this. That can only strengthen that. Um, of course, always consider working with a therapist, either as an individual, if you're already in a relationship where these things are showing up for you, you can also, couples therapy can be very beneficial. And being patient with yourself, again, that showing your love, self, you know, love, compassion, being patient with yourself around this, being patient with your partner, and remembering change is hard work and it takes a lot of practice. 
Well, thank you, Michelle. That was such great information on attachment theory. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Um, if you want any more information, you can always find us at anchorlighttherapy.com. So we will be back next Monday morning at 9 a.m. with a little bit more in the world of therapy and positive mental health. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. We'll see you next week.